So Jody's reflection was to be public faith in an era of Christian nationalism. It sounds like I came close to driving some people out of the room with a, a statement on uh, Christian nationalism. And we could spend, uh, we might even enjoy spending a lot of time um, detailing what most people characterize as, as white Christian nationalism. Uh, but what I hope we can do is think a bit about how we, as a church now in Washington County, in our pursuit of justice, can reflect on what Jody called public faith. What I'm going to read is called uh, public theology. And then... Um, I'll give people a chance, if they wish, to come up and, and have a thought as to how we as a church could uh, live out this public theology uh, or public faith. Um, for instance, this might even be a time, rather, or perhaps even in addition to an announcement time, to say a word about crop walk. Um, and, and other examples of how we might um, be public with our faith. So, reading. Public theology is a purposeful effort to place our faith in the public square and make room for others to join us. One of the best ways to do this is through our own stories of faith. Acting as a public theologian means I intentionally let my theology inform my personal experiences to engage publicly in social issues. My faith is no longer exclusively an internal dialogue with God, but rather a public conversation between myself, God, and society, informed and infused by my experiences. Moreover, I don't express my public theology simply by sharing my testimony. I also advocate for the vulnerable based on both my good and bad experiences in the church. By sharing the story of my suffering through the framework of my theology, I can help others to regain their view of God, which may have been eclipsed by their own pain. If all Christians act as public theologians by sharing our stories in a collective history that improves the common good of the church and the world, we can challenge the systemic social problems of racism, sexual abuse, misogyny, and domestic violence with courage, hoping for change, not retribution. We make our public theology compelling by being willing to walk boldly into the public square and engaging society with our beliefs and experiences. Stories are useful, but using them to instigate public action over time creates change.
And I would invite anybody up here to share any thoughts they have about how we might do that here in Washtenaw County. Now, as I said last time that we work to do this, I always come prepared. Um, as you continue to think uh, about whether there's anything you'd like to share, um, I see Brian, and you know, one of the things that we could consider is uh, whether we would think about shirts as being part of public theology or public faith. Now, Brian is wearing uh, the newest Shalom shirt uh, this morning. For Brian, yeah, stand up, Brian. Um, for Brian, uh, this is perhaps a little bit of a of a, a little bit of a tame shirt for him, but but it you know it's there, it's there. Now. Um, so what I also came pre prepared to do uh -huh, is this. Hmm? Now, um, what I was tempted to do is put on all these other shirts. And as people didn't talk, I would take off another shirt. Now. My dear wife helped me moderate that a bit because she um, she said <laughs> we have a signal. She does this. Um, so she said, so basically, what you're going to say is that if they don't talk, you'll undress. And you know, I thought, well, you put it that way, probably not. So this is it. Um, Thank you, yes, yes. But, but again, the question is, is this, like, I, think, I think this expresses something, it does something, it brings our faith to a more public expression. But as we, as we, as we talk about very welcome um there's i think a, a a need for us to um kind of wear these shirts and i think i think brian would very much testify this to wear these shirts as we take action to not just wear the shirt, but to walk in the shirt, to act in the shirt. 
<laughs> so basically, I've run out of threats. So <laughs> uh, I'm going to again give us a time to say a word, a thought that you might have. And if not, we can uh, quite easily move on with the service. Dropped your name tag and all that, so I don't know if you oh, didn't man. want. <laughs> all I wanted to say is, um, so over Labor Day weekend, I was in um, my home ch church where I grew up, and um, just a little, just, I will say that the uh, county in which I grew up, the town and the county, are uh, very Republican, very, uh, very red still currently. Um, there are three Mennonite churches in um, West Liberty, Ohio. But the Sunday I was there, um, the pastor who is, was there for, I don't know, maybe five years as an assistant pastor and has recently become the pastor in the last couple of years. Uh, a young man with a young family, and he, uh, his sermon, I wish I could remember the title exactly, but it was on Christian nationalism. And as I sat there and listened to this young man really speak from his heart about what was going on in our country and in our churches, um, it just occurred to me, and I thought about it again this morning, and as I knew what the topic was going to be, how different it is to speak these words, um, many words that we speak here in Ann Arbor, in Washtenaw County, than it is in, you know, West Liberty, Ohio, in Logan County. How, how different, what, um, you know, to be able to say what what it is that we think and believe. I just wanted to share that difference. Hello, my name is Annette. Um, and talking about one uh, loud voice, uh, public theology, Christian nationalism, um, over the last two or three years, I think I've become convinced that I don't think anybody is going to convince anybody in a, a nation as riven as the US is right now uh, by talking. I don't, we, the statement has to be put forward, but I think there needs, I think the only room for um, any change or moderation is through relationships. Because the more we speak and the more we shout out an opinion, the more we're, we're moving apart. And so I think it's in those spaces, we're shared spaces where we can, um, this is a long game, right? That's where we can have relationships. Um, and it, I, the first time I came here, uh, Trevor was about to go to Com, and he made a comment about um, whether <laughs> having, you know, continuing theological conversations that may not be convincing anyone of anything. But it, I think he said, if I recall correctly, something about that's still a shared space. Um, and it's very difficult to find those, and it's extremely difficult to find those in Christian communities, particularly. Um, that's where we were at the Rift is one of the most acute rifts. Um, public statements, um, anything that shows the support for LGBTQ2 plus 
people is a, a token that you're a safe place. That's something that's valuable. But I think the long game is uh, relationships, and that's those are liminal and uncomfortable spaces. <laughs> Hi, I'm Krista, and I think you can sit down, Brian. <laughs> yes, I can, but no, I don't. Uh, I wear this T-shirt uh, in various places. We've gone to activities with it. Um, and actually, after this discussion and the adult ed class, uh, it would be, I would consider maybe going to some other uh, congregations wearing this shirt, give them an opportunity to see me and talk to me. Um, it could be very simple, it could be very hard. Uh, and I have a few ideas about it, but I would encourage anybody to think about that or wear your t-shirt be it riot adult or shalom community uh, to uh, other places just be visible uh, be as uh, you mentioned just be visible and uh, be open to, to some discussion although sometimes it'll be hard We had those really amazing lawn signs. How many years ago was that? Mine's disintegrated. And I would be very, very, very happy to have them again because I had a lot of great conversations around that. And we do have a neighbor four or five doors down that has the same lawn sign from someplace else. And it was invited nice conversations and I like that. I have a t-shirt that says protect trans kids. And I, when I first got it, I wore it all the time and then I only got positive comments. Everybody that stopped me was like, thank you for wearing your shirt. But then I started to feel self-conscious and it's stayed in the drawer a little bit too long. But um, anyway, it is sometimes you have to be ready to wear the shirt. I am Michelle Webster Hine, and Scott and I both come from very conservative families. Um, I was actually kind of prepping myself on the drive here because I have to leave early because we are going. We have family in town because our nephew got married, and um, they're very. <laughs> I always end up falling into a conversation where my hackles just raise, and I start to be very like abrasive, and it's not a good. It's not a it's not a positively relational thing. And I've thought a lot about I thought so much about what we are capable of changing. 
in other people. <laughs> um, and my family, my parents, my brother, um, they're very like, they're pretty Trumpy. And Scott's family is pretty Trumpy. And there's a lot of white nationalism. Um, there's also a lot of financial insecurity. And there's a lot of um, pain, physical pain and other um, issues. And they are real people who love deeply and who who care very much for me and for many many people and there's there's a rift that i fantasize about bridging and when Steve Thomas was here, he talked about the potential of peace cafes, which is, you know, you you invite people of differing opinions into a space and you have, you know, a table and you have like kind of a an order of listening, active listening that you do. And I've I've kind of wondered about the potential of that. And I know that I'm a Pollyanna. And I know that I've been having these conversations for a long time, and I don't know that they've that they've made, you know, terribly discernible changes. Um, but sometimes I think that that all we have is are those spaces where we somehow, and I'm still so bad at doing this, but where we can sit down and, and actually ask, okay, so tell me how you think this. So explain to me, you know, in, 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 in a receptive way, what this means to you. And, and it, it feels like you're giving power to that white nationalism which is so poisonous but i think um that when you ask a question and when you listen which again is the hardest thing and it's something i've still am really trying to learn how to do and you continue to ask questions it's sort of like in therapy where you you know perhaps we can start to like you know, not like completely untangle it, but just start to loosen the knot. Um, and I, I do, I have hope in that. And I think if we write that off, if we say we can't, it's hopeless. They're not going to listen to us. Well, they're not going to listen to us when we're like, you're wrong. <laughs> Let me tell you why you're wrong. No, of course, they're not going to listen to that. No one is going to listen to that. I'm not going to listen to that. But if we can truly enter into a conversation with love and an open heart and, and open ears, I, I really do believe that that can accomplish something.
And I'm just going to keep believing that even if I don't have too terribly much evidence, except I will share this one story because I feel like I'm whatever. I'm just like verbally <clears throat> splashing all over. Um, so my father, who is, he's voted, you know, he's voted for Trump twice and he um, is conservative in lots of ways. He's also oddly open-minded. And, and that's the thing, like you have these ideas about this group of people and they never actually describe a person. And, and we forget that because we're so freaking separated. We never even talk to someone who has completely different ideas from us, um, which I think was why hearing stories helps. But there was one day a few years ago where I was talking to my father about same-sex marriage and we had my father is someone who is really funny. And so like he, we can have these conversations. <clears throat> um, and he, we were going, you know, going at it again. And I was saying, you know, if, if you really believe in limited government and you blah, 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 blah. And, and finally he was like, you know what? You're right. I agree with you. You win. He was like, no, you're right. I, you know, I'm changing my mind. I think, I think that should be allowed. <laughs> you know, that never happens. <laughs> but it did. It happened once. <laughs> and so, I don't know. I offer this hope and I, I offer a just a plea not to build an idea of a people and let that be your interpretation of each individual person. I feel compelled to share a little bit of this, um, even though it has nothing to do with anything we're talking about. Um, but yesterday I went down to uh, Elkhart to a conference, uh, Rooted and Grounded, which is a conference on environment and the land. And I went there with the purpose of talking to people about a um, Christian ethics of farmed animal welfare document that I've been a part of working on with a group of national faith leaders over the last few years. It's a really nice statement. It's a statement that kind of calls um, for a variety of reasons, calls attention to how bad industrial animal agriculture is for our ecosystems, for the people that are involved in that industry, and for us. Um, not to mention the animals, um, and it's the animals, right, that usually get my interest. Um, and animals in that system are just so deprived from flourishing. And so I have been waiting to go to this conference for a long time to talk about this document. It took us a long time to write it, but this was a big Saturday for me to talk about this with people. Um, and, um, and so 10 people came to my session and we talked about it. And um, one of the things that was said was that if you brought this resolution to the larger church to talk about, um, they would treat it like they've treated the Israel disinvestment resolution, that it would just become a purely political thing. 
Um, and it reminded me, right, um, that I do live in Ann Arbor, where I go to church with people who can afford to spend money on food and um, have access to really great grocery stores. I could give them um, meat that is not purely unethically farmed. Um, and that many Mennonites historically have lived on farms and um, are pushed because they are on a farm into that system. And so it was interesting to just think about that in that context and also to think about um, what some of the work is. And so one of the people who was there, I had this interesting experience in college where I lived across the street from this just complete jerk. Um, Kenton is his name. <laughs> and like, this guy was just an absolute idiot. He had a, a hat that he wore everywhere called Westgate Gun Club that he'd made in high school, because Westgate is the high school in Winnipeg, and he wanted to be in a gun club as a, as a, as a Mennonite. And he drove a motorcycle, and um, he, he, was, he was just a complete idiot. Um, his, his nickname was Lump. And, and when, I, when I left college, I was very happy to be done with Kenton Lobby in my life. That, that kind of aggressive, aggressively kind of in-your-face flaunting of bad ideas has never sat well with me. Um, so one of the interesting things about going to these Rooted and Grounded conferences is that Kenton Lobby has now turned himself into an organic farmer. He runs a farm at the university that we used to go to. He teaches courses on sustainability. He's very thoughtful about this. And he has participated for the last 10 years in a conversation between farmers and, um, and, and farmers of different stripes, right? Like farmers who are in the, like in the industrial side, farmers who farm more small, organic farmers, hobby farmers, um, people, people that um, do this work um, to talk about the kind of food system. Um, so I sit beside Kenton during a session and agree with him about everything and also appreciate how he approaches things and his commitment to working on the relationship. Um, so that's all a very kind of interesting thing for me. It has nothing to do with Washtenaw County, except that we also eat food here. Um, but it, it, it just kind of, I think, um, is something I wanted to share with you. I need to decide what to do with this document now, right? Because I'm the only person in the kind of Mennonite church who is interested in this and shows up at a conference like this to talk about it. Um, so do I like try to get my congregation behind me to support this document and, and bring it forward to further conversation? Or do I just kind of keep like writing songs about animals in the hope that that'll change um, somebody's idea? So um, this is just one further reflection. Um, So thank you so much for sharing. Um, we'll move on now to the hymn of response, which Jody had chosen as her hymn of response for, for this service. <laughs> 